0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm your host, Brian Fields. And with me, as always, is my right-hand man, Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Sam Richard, Executive Director of Arizona Dispensaries Association. Sam, thanks for taking the time. How
1: are you doing today? I'm doing very, very well and so grateful for the time to speak with you guys
0: and uh, all your listeners. Thanks for the invitation. Was there a single moment when you were in your day-to-day life where you realized, I want to dive headfirst into the cannabis industry?
1: Yeah. So some of the work that I did previously was around uh, social policy uh, on left of center issues. So a a lot around environmental justice, criminal justice reform, immigration justice, which is a huge issue here in Arizona. And through that, I think I, I was really introduced to the intersectionality of cannabis policy that, you know, I think that a lot of our conversations in the industry kind of treat cannabis as its own thing that's separate and apart from the rest of society. So let's kind of take a step farther down there.
0: Arizona Dispensaries Association, can you kind of share a little bit how it works?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we are um, a fairly typical trade association. We come together a couple of times a month to talk about legislative issues, compliance and regulatory issues as well as make important business uh, connections and and kind of network amongst peers. So our focus is on the ownership of the licenses and the independently operating sub-licensees. Can you kind of take us behind the curtains on on how it works? We are an extremely boring association. Our focus is on making the, the business climate as operable as possible from the perspective of current owners. What percentage of the operator scenarios owner are involved in the ADA? So there are uh, 125 licenses that are currently open as a part of the market. And we represent 105 of those licensed owners. Uh, in addition to that, there are a variety of groups that have made the decision to join and contribute meaningfully to the association that aren't licensed owners. So an example, and actually I'm, I'm wearing their shirt today. Um, uh, Wanna a, a great California brand and regional brand, and, and all of that is in the Arizona market. They are a member of the association, even though they do not own a license to operate in Arizona. They lease that ability to be here. I really feel like when we get together as an association, um, it is like a meeting of the NFL, right? We're, we are there to make the league better. We are there to make the game of football better. But as soon as that meeting's over, and we see each other on the field, it's back to
0: being competitors. Can you kind of take us behind the curtain a little bit about you know, Prop 207 and, and kind of what influenced the speed which allowed Arizona to pass it so fast?
1: To go all the way back in history, Arizona actually had a medical marijuana citizens initiative on the ballot in 1996, the same year that California did. What we also share with California is that voters of Arizona approved that measure in 1996. What was different in Arizona than in California is that our legislature invalidated that citizen's initiative with their first act in the following legislative session. So Arizona could have had just as mature of a market as California, but our legislature at the time was not um, in full approval of the idea. So we have had this long battle um, around cannabis policy in Arizona that that stretches 25 years we are what some investors and some observers of the market might call a limited license state. But one thing that I like to remind people is that we actually heard loud and clear from voters, both in 2010 when our medical cannabis initiative was passed, and in 2020 when our adult use initiative passed, that we did not. Our voters did not want us to become Oklahoma, with when there is literally a cannabis retail uh, um, shop on every corner. So our voters wanted a limited license state, and we uh, responded to that in kind. At the same time, there needed to be a direct and focused effort to restore the harms of the drug war. So that was why our, our uh, initiative in 2020 was so balanced between
0: industry and uh, restorative justice. Let's go back to that story you shared about having that January date for the flip the switch. Was that the original target date when you sat down with all the parties to try to work through all the issues? Was that the original target date or did you have a different one in mind and it was more of a a moving range?
1: Yeah, that's a somewhat complex question. I think depending on who you asked around the table, um, election day was November 3rd. I think there was a big contingent of folks who wanted to open up the adult use market on November 4th. Um, (laughs) uh, But I think that there was also some folks who, who understood that there was, you know, some Kind of a level of preparation that was necessary. Take us
0: through that conversation because like it's so fascinating to hear that. Obviously, 70 days is still a very short period of time. But was there one issue that kind of dragged on that was harder to kind of get past as a collective? Can you kind of share some information behind the scenes on that? So the idea here,
1: it was more of a shift in mindset, but you know, the idea that cannabis communities and cannabis culture really wrapped itself around the idea of a medical. Product in some ways hampered some of the conversation or some of the ease in that transition conversation to an adult use marketplace because some regulators and some uh, kind of pieces of the ecosystem approach adult use cannabis separately from medical cannabis in terms of the product. One thing that we benefited from was a shared understanding across all parts of the ecosystem that cannabis has. Demonstrated therapeutic benefits, regardless of a medical or an adult use designation, in a very similar way to something like ibuprofen. So, helping regulators understand that that's essentially what we are doing here, right, helped them realize that, you know, there were very few pieces in the supply chain where we needed to segregate product between adult use and medical. And in the Arizona program, uh, there's only one point in the program where that is separated, and for only one type of product, which is something that really I think makes the Arizona program unique.
0: What's one area about the Arizona cannabis market that most wouldn't know?
1: That's a great question uh, because there's so there's so many, and and some of it is you know this kind of belief that that it, it runs through at like Arizona, just like the the mindset. I mean, like we had somewhere in the neighborhood of. 115 days over 100 degrees this this summer. And when you experience that kind of harsh environment of the desert, you kind of develop this, uh, you know, thick outer layer skin. I think what is different about Arizona is our overall market isn't yet matured to, to having a significant level of quality as the baseline.
0: Since you've been in the cannabis industry, what has been the biggest misconception? That cannabis is different
1: I think that's that's a, a theme in my work with the association and, and something that um, I'm eager to invite people to consider. Uh, obviously things that make cannabis different and make cannabis unique. but in terms of industry, in terms of kind of how we operate as business entities, frankly, the only thing that separates us Is the kind of gray space that we live in that federal illegality at at the current moment?
0: If you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation, what would it be?
1: Smoke weed. (laughs) But I also think, just generally, too, I think it shouldn't be special. It shouldn't be a spike in the ratio. Kind of as we were talking about it, um, you know, my goal is to have. Sharing a joint at the end of the workday, just as normalized as a, you know, sharing a, a glass of wine or getting happy hour with, with a couple
0: of buddies. All right, prediction time. Damn, what state do you think will follow Arizona's quick model of flip the switch next? Okay, I
1: want to say the rest of them. That's my answer, and and the reason why I say that is I think that as regulators in the kind of the, the dark caves of federal government, see what happened in Arizona. They are seeing what is happening in the Northeast. I think that they've made a choice that Arizona is the model for the country. So I think that the, the next state that will be open to all regulated cannabis will be the, the balance of states that do not yet currently have a program. Sam, so for our listeners that want to get in
0: touch, where can they reach you? On
1: azdispensaries.org. My email is just sam at that URL. So happy to receive any emails from anybody out there and check us out azdispensaries.org. We're on Instagram and all that. But as we discussed, a lot of our work is kind of internally focused on our members. So we aren't super active on on the social medias, but uh, always happy to interact with folks who want to know a little bit more about Arizona. Thanks so much for your time.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show.